that is actually why I'm up there is I'm helping the Utah Patients Coalition with whatever they need. Um, essentially, I am their expert on cannabis and patients, and we are doing some stuff with a psilocybin task force bill. And so I'm also their expert Ooh, okay. there. Just stop right now. Let's talk about psilocybin. <laughs> Welcome everybody out to Utah in the Weeds. My name is Tim Pickett and I am your host. Today's episode 86, a interview with Kylie Shumway, friend of mine in the cannabis uh, industry and medical cannabis space, somebody with whom I have I share a lot of familiar opinions with, frankly, as you listen to this episode. Kylie Shumway is the pharmacist in charge at Wholesome Co. Medical Cannabis Pharmacy here in Bountiful, Utah. Wholesome Co. is one of the fastest growing medical cannabis pharmacies in the state of Utah, and they currently offer delivery services to every corner of Utah for free. And I want to mention that because they're the only pharmacy to do that. Uh, and Kylie runs their medical program as a pharmacist. We here in this interview, we talk about her background, how she got into cannabis and what things are really important to her uh, with regard to the patients here in Utah and her patient care. Kylie is also the medical director for the Utah Patients Coalition an activist group here in the state of Utah, and along with Desiree Hennessy, uh, the executive director of that Utah Patients Coalition, is very, very involved on the on the Hill during the legislative session now that's in session here in Utah, working for patients, working for us, right? Uh, patients and providers trying to increase safety, increase access, decrease costs, make those tweaks and changes that we're all hoping, hoping that the state will move forward on. Additionally, she is working with the Utah Patients Coalition on a psilocybin bill, which we talk about here in the interview. So make sure you listen to that as well. Uh, we talk all about her background and how she got into pharmacy, what she loves about THC and compounding cannabinoids. Uh, very, very fun conversation to listen to. Uh, from a housekeeping perspective, stay tuned. One of our next episodes will be with a veteran who has experience with TrueMed. Now, you may be familiar with them because their owner and operator was recently arrested for kidnapping and torturing a woman. We're going to talk to a veteran who was a patient of theirs and uh, had that experience and listen to what he has to say about that whole thing, how he feels like uh, they were very unfair to him in that uh in that, you know, didn't really take care of him. So uh, if you're not subscribed to Utah in the Weeds, go ahead, download it on any podcast player that you have access to. Again, my name is Tim Pickett. Enjoy this episode with Kylie Shumway. Okay, Kylie, um, when did you, what, what started this all? Your, like your journey into cannabis. When was the first time you were exposed to cannabis? Tell me about that. So I think, and don't lie. Your mom's not going to listen to this. I, yeah. My mom's never going to hear this. So <laughs> I had friends that used cannabis when I was in high school 
I wasn't as into it. I definitely did use cannabis in high school, but... Did you grow up in Utah? I did. I grew up in Linden, Utah. Wow. We've met a lot of people on the podcast who've actually used cannabis like in high school. And I'm, I'm frankly, I'm surprised because I didn't think it was that prevalent, but evidently it, it was a bigger deal than I thought. It was really prevalent in like with more of the religious kids. Uh-huh. They actually seemed to use more cannabis than uh-huh. maybe the kids that were outside of the dominant religion. Hmm. So oh, cool. So used it a little bit in high school, but not, didn't really love it. I tried it, but I didn't love it for a whole lot of reasons. One being that I was, I had, I, I kind of had a lot of anxiety when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So it just made me more anxious. And so I, I was like, I don't love this. Classic. This, this yeah, to I, me is like my, my experience was pretty similar, right? Like I did it a little bit, but, um, but honestly, the funnest part about smoking weed in high school is the moment right before yeah. you actually get high, <laughs> like right before that, because then you're like, I'm, I'm doing something that I'm not supposed to. It's really exciting. You got all mm-hmm. that adrenaline and then you get high and you're just paranoid. Yeah. And then, and right? then the paranoia like, kicks in and I'm like, fun. this is awful. Yeah. I'm, I'm not having fun. But the, the, yeah, you're right. The time leading up to that, like right. the it's camaraderie like, oh, so and you're with your exciting. friends yeah. and it's, you're having so much fun and then you're not having fun. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you're really not having fun. Kids don't smoke yeah. weed. It's really not really worth it. I because did not have fun. It's just not fun. I did not um, have fun. I didn't actually find any medicinal benefit from cannabis until I was an adult and I could make more well-informed decisions with my pharmacy knowledge, with the background that I then had. Ah, really? So when did you go into pharmacy? I started my, in 2011 was my first year of college. 2011? I went, yeah, so 2011. And I knew, I was pretty sure that I wanted to be a pharmacist. Um, I tried some other things. I took some programming classes and, you know, some just some other stuff to make sure that that's what I really wanted. But after my first biology and my first chemistry class, it was like, that's it. You're like, wow, this is really cool. Why? This is exactly why what I want. pharmacy? So I thought about going to medical school. But when I started college, I was actually 25. And I was concerned about how long medical school takes. I felt a little rushed, which wasn't Mm -hmm. true. I should not have felt rushed. But at 25 in Utah, I was like, I'm too old. I I didn't start soon enough, which was all a fallacy. Like that was all not true. Yeah, it was all But that's how I felt. Sure. So I was like, I'm going to be a pharmacist. I can do that in between five and nine years instead of 15 years. Like I can get done with it because I wouldn't need to do, it's not required to do a residency or anything like that. Sure. But you can do a residency if you want. You can, you can do like a, like a, like a one year, um, intensive. They do like with PA school. Oh, they do. Uh huh. Like with PA school, there's only a couple of, um, what they would consider residencies in the nation. Right. And they don't, they don't like make you more money. They don't, um, there's a few, there's like one trauma 
program at IHC for PAs. Oh, interesting. There's quite a few residencies now for pharmacy school, but I, again, I just, I had this idea that I was in a hurry and that yeah. I needed to hurry up and pick a job and hurry up and yeah, hurry do up something and do with all myself. The f- yeah. Right. Hurry up and be an adult. Yeah. Hurry up. Jeez. Hurry. 25. I was 25 I mean, and I was in such on. a rush. 2011, you go back to school? Yeah, that is when I go back to school. So I had I, I had graduated years earlier, but I just knew I wasn't ready for college when I graduated from high school. Yeah. I still had all that anxiety that I was working on, and I still had this idea that maybe I wasn't smart enough, which was also a lie. <laughs> but anxiety makes it hard to see what's true. So Yeah, I... I could totally see that. So then did you work in retail pharmacy? Yes. That was my very first job out of college when I graduated in 2016. I rushed through college. I actually, at the end, I think I was taking 37 and a half credit hours a semester or something in two week blocks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh huh. You were really in a hurry. I was really in a hurry. You were really in a hurry. Do you feel like you're in that big of a hurry now? No. Not not quite. You're busy though. I'm you're really busy. busy now. We'll talk about that in a second, but <laughs> So really 2016, busy. what was your first job as a pharmacist? I was a retail pharmacist at Smiths and I actually enjoyed it. I got a lot of patient interaction. And it was really a way for me to kind of become comfortable with myself as a, a, a like a healthcare provider. I had a lot of really good pharmacists around me to help me out. And that I was really kind of glad that that's where I started. Though pretty soon after that, I think I was a retail pharmacist for about a year. And then I got into compounding pharmacy. I loved retail pharmacy. It was great. But there are some problems at the corporate level that have come to light actually recently. Um, there's a big movement all over social media right now. Uh, I think it's called She Waited and then Pizza's Not Working. Oh, okay. Describe that. Like what's happening? There was a pharmacist in a retail pharmacy chain that got sick, called corporate and said, hey, I need somebody to cover me. I'm really sick. And they're like, well, we don't have anybody. And they had all these excuses. You just, you have to, you can't shut the pharmacy down. You have to wait until somebody else gets there because she was the only pharmacist and the pharmacist can't leave the pharmacy or the pharmacy has to shut down. So she waited. And while she waited, she had a heart attack and died. Oh man. It was so bad. And I'm pretty sure it was CVS. Interesting. Yeah. There was some, there's some stuff in retail pharmacy that I think needs fixing and it needed fixing while I was a retail pharmacist. So did you like compounding better? Much better. The difference is right with compounding pharmacies, you get a lot more providers calling in and then saying, Mm -hmm. Hey, I need you to mix up this. Yeah. That's like pestle, mortar and pestle. The the whole, the whole, uh, did you do that? Actually I used mortar and pestles all the time and capsule machines. It's so fun. It's so fun. And I love to bake as well. So it's like right up my alley. I was just like, this <laughs> You're is like great. a drug baker. This is everything that I could have ever wanted. And I loved it. 
So I specialized in bioidentical hormone replacement, and that's a lot of what we were compounding. I loved it. I loved it so much. I worked there for years. I did compounding pharmacy for years in a couple different compounding pharmacies, and it was it was so fun. And then I got to the point that I was really confident, like I was doing really great and I really knew what I was doing. And then the law passed in Utah for, for cannabis in what was that? 2018. Yep. And I, I started telling everybody around me, I was like, this is, that's what I want to do. And that had started like me talking about being a cannabis pharmacist started in probably 2012. Interesting. That is because in Utah, there wasn't any discussion about really no. even the law at all passing before, before that big push in 2018 when it passed. Yeah. I would tell people that I was going to move out of state to become, to become a pharmacist, a cannabis pharmacist. There's so a couple that- of other states that uh, require pharmacists in their, in their programs. It's like Connecticut. I think. Yeah. Connecticut does. Because we had looked at Connecticut's program for this program. We were looking at some of the similarities. And then I think Columbia Care keeps pharmacists on staff, no matter what state Uh it's in. And I think Curaleaf does a very similar thing. They like Mm -hmm. pharmacists there and in um, in their programs, even in states where they don't require one. Yeah. Yeah. So there was, there was that going on. And then I would tell, you know, people that that's, that's what I was going to do. And then in pharmacy school, my dad got sick. Oh. So while I was in pharmacy school, my dad got cancer and he got really sick. And the chemotherapy was so hard on him. So he was on cisplatin, uh-huh. which is, you know, the one that makes you the most like nauseous. And then he was on doxorubicin and vincristine. And those are really hard on your body, especially the doxorubicin. So he was really sick all the time. And we had to leave the state to get cannabis for him because he had lost so much weight. He had lost like 80 pounds or 90 pounds or something crazy like that. And we finally took him out of state and he started eating again. And the sores in his mouth weren't so bad and he could swallow because he'd lost the ability to swallow. And when he started using cannabis again, he could swallow. So, you know, we couldn't tell anybody because he's at the VA. So we can't tell anybody that we're using this. But the nurses were like, oh, I can't believe how great you're doing. Like you totally turned around. This is wonderful. Wow. And it was all because the cannabis he was using. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden he's got a little appetite. Mm -hmm. Some pain relief. Is that kind of where you learned all your like real cannabis medicine? Really? I think that's where my passion came from for it. I saw my dad do a 180 and I was like, I could do that for people. Like I had joked about it in 2012 and be like, I'm going to be a cannabis pharmacist. Ha ha. So funny. And then that happened. And I was like, I know really I could do this. Yeah. Now all of a sudden it's real. Now I feel like sometimes uh, with my experience, you know, you, th- in the textbook, you, you assume it is real and you, mm-hmm. you believe it and you know how it makes you feel and you know, it stimulates your appetite or it makes you relaxed or it mm-hmm. helps your back pain, but you don't really see 
the benefits for other people until you you actually like see them have benit. There's a difference in reading it in a book and sh- and having an experience experienced yeah. yeah or by your patients even too uh-huh. right like oh, having yeah. your dad like wow no this isn't just this is actually real this is real and like I knew once my dad had finished his chemo and he was doing great and he's still alive and he's still doing so good that's so and like amazing. I could I could do this for somebody I could be that person. Yeah. That helps somebody like that and then helps their family too because to have my dad get better didn't just have him get better like it was good for it was it was better for my mom because she was his main caretaker it was better for me because I was helping like it was better for everybody involved because he had a better attitude he didn't hurt so bad you know he could get up and move himself around better because he didn't he wasn't just so in so much pain and so sick. Yeah, he was able to put his to to disassociate with what was physically happening. Yeah. That's and really great. It was amazing. So all of that and then becoming yeah, so all of that I was a retail pharmacist, a compounding pharmacist and the bill passed and I was like I don't have to move. Like Yeah. Oh, I boom. Can, I can I'm going to stay here. When did you get your job with Wholesome? I started emailing as soon as they announced who had got the licenses in January of 2020. Yeah, I remember that. I I remember I was lifting weights at the time with Sean Hammond <laughs> who had applied for a for a license and we were waiting 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 uh for those to come around. Yep. Uh yeah, that was fun. That's a fun time. So then you become you become a pharmacist at Wholesome and now you're mm-hmm. the you're you're in charge. You're in charge of the place. I I am in charge of a lot of things. Um some of my some of the stuff I'm in charge in I'm actually going to split it up with Kelly now because my job has gotten to where it's like three or four people's job. Yeah. So I am going to I am going to get some help. Kelly has been really fabulous. So she's going to help me out. and i'm going to take over much more of a i'm going to do less of the day to day like writing the schedule and you know checking yeah. on people's consults and stuff like that i'm going to be working that and uh, and now you have to check every transaction yeah. number i haven't really talked to a pharmacist since that's happened i think we I'm, talked about like with rich last year that it that it happened and what i'm describing is the for the for those of you who are listening is there was an update to the legislation last year in Utah where a pharmacist has to now verify that a patient's dosing and purchasing ability is matching with what they're purchasing meaning they can't go over their limit and that has to be per- that has to be verified at every transaction yes and then so along with that what the pharmacists are also verifying is that what is in the bag is what's on their receipt. It's a lot like doing the final check in an actual retail pharmacy and where we're making sure that that was that was why it was passed that way, yep. right? So now we're making sure that, you know, just like we do at a retail pharmacy where I'm looking, I'm physically looking in the bottle and making sure that those pills are what they say on the screen because sometimes they're not. Interesting. And I don't know how many times I've either caught the wrong pill is in the bottle, the wrong strength is in the bottle, or the 
wrong medication has been like typed in from the prescription or that the prescription actually has the wrong drug name on it. Hmm. So like the prescription from the, so there's a lot of things to catch, but the big thing is that I'm actually checking and seeing what's in the bag is what's supposed to be in the bag. And it's just another way. It's that final check to make sure that everything is in there is in there. But I think it's also a way to like, everybody's really worried about diversion and it's just one more way of, you know, yeah, like looking the patient in the eye and saying, this is for you. This is not yeah. for somebody else. Yeah. And I think diversion, what do you think? I think diversion's a bigger issue than, like, nobody really wants to talk about I, it. But No one wants like, to talk about it. I was even nervous saying the words. I was like, oh. I know, because, like, let's be honest. Your sister, your brother, your mom, your son, you know, they need to try something. So you're mm-hmm. you're like, I'm a patient. I'll just run down there and you can try some of my tincture. Right? That is against that not not just state law. That's against federal law and yeah. state law. Yeah. That's really dangerous. But we I don't know. It's like it's no big deal. Yeah. And nobody almost. and nobody wants to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to talk about it. Um, but people, so, it's a real thing. People divert. It's called diversion. It's called um, diversion. It's, it's essentially like in fact, it's probably worse from a legal perspective to divert cannabis than it is to divert opioids. I don't know. It may be, I mean, it's da- they're less more dangerous illegal. to your they're health. They're a but schedule more, one drug. Yeah. Weed's Which more, weed's more I think, I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Let's not go down that rabbit yeah. hole yet. But that's a, that's a dangerous road for us. Okay. So <laughs> now you see patients at Wholesome, you come all this mm-hmm. way from Linden, um, <laughs> You know, and, and it's every time I see you, you're really happy. You seem like you really (laughs) like your life right now. I, well, honestly, I cannot believe that this is what I get to do. I can't believe it. I've been talking about it since I started college. Like I want to be a cannabis pharmacist. That's what I want. And here I am. And who gets that? Like who gets to have that in their life? So there's only like 10 of you, actually, (laughs) maybe there's like 30 of you now in Utah. So yeah, I get to have my dream job. Right. You get a, you get a literally what I, I mean, what I tell people is like, I literally teach how teach people how to use cannabis. Like I literally teach people how to smoke weed for a living. Yeah. It is. It's pretty awesome. Pretty fun. It's incredible. And I have the chance to do all the research that I want and look at anything that has anything to do with patient care and have a real impact on how patients are taken care of in the cannabis space. And it has been incredible. I, I love it. I love it. And I feel like sometimes outside of medical programs, my patients are forgotten. Like my, my true medical patient, not true. All of the, everybody's a medical patient really, in my opinion, but sometimes they're forgotten when the medical programs go away and I get to make sure that they're taken care of here. Yep. In Oregon, there's been like a 70% reduction in the medical patients. And, you know, there's certainly going to be a reduction in any adult use Mm -hmm. program, but, but I do like that it's medical here first. Yeah. I think legitimizing it first, it was the right move. I, yeah. Right. And, and making sure that people have good information 
and that the QMPs and the PMPs were doing all we can to educate patients on what's true because there's so much misinformation on the internet. You can just go on the internet and quote, yeah. quote find whatever you want. And there's a lot of it that you is can wrong. really find whatever yeah. you want. Yeah. Yeah. So you really like terpenes. This is like your thing. So I like terpenes. What or, I I really like cannabinoids. That's really so there's there's studies on terpenes and we think that they do the things that we think they do. There's right. more science on the cannabinoids. So I'm actually more focused on them. And recently, I don't know how recently, we have found a whole bunch of the receptors that they interact with outside of the endocannabinoid system, which has been fascinating for me. Oh, describe what you're so talking about. So they interact with GABA receptors. They interact with uh, like the TRP receptors, like serotonin receptors. So receptors that we would think of classically as outside of the endocannabinoid system. Yeah. So they are involved in a bunch of pathways in our body, which is so incredible. And it's why we get the effects that we do. But terpenes, we don't know if they interact well, we know they don't interact directly, most of them, with the endocannabinoid system, but we don't know how they interact with these other systems now that we're finding that cannabis interacts with. Yeah, I I love the science of cannabis, but I also, you know, we say, a lot of times we say, yes, there's plenty of evidence, there's plenty of evidence, and there is for certain mm-hmm. things, right? Like, does it work for pain? Yes. Yes. Does it work for this? Yes. But there's so much that it's kind of daunting how much we don't know. And the more I learn, the more I know, like the more I know how much we don't know, which yeah. makes me more careful now speaking of ca- about cannabis than when I first started. Cause there's so ah. much minutia that we don't know. Like we, there's a ton of mechanisms of action that we don't even understand yet. We don't know how, it works. We just know that it does work, which is true for a lot of medications. So it's not something that's like overly concerning, but it just shows me how much we don't know and how much more research we should be doing. Yeah. We need more better science. We, we kind of need better science in a lot of fronts Mm -hmm. too, but cannabis is, it's just, there's just a glaring hole in side-by-side studies, you know, um, the double blind Mm -hmm. randomly controlled stuff, then the side-by-side, what is, does this, does cannabis work? Does THC work against Mm -hmm. Ativan? Does THC work against Prozac? Does THC work against, you know, where there's side-by-side stuff? Yeah. No, I don't, I've never heard of anything like that. And there needs to be stuff like that. So we can say, look in, in these types of patients, Comparing these two, uh, you know, medication modalities, this tends to work better or this doesn't. Yeah, yeah that type of thing we're, we're really missing. Yeah. I don't even know if we'll ever get there. I believe that we, we will. I just wish it was faster. It's hard for me to have to yeah. wait on something that I know is important and we need the information. And just because it's a schedule one drug, I can't. I'm. I can't get the information that I need. Are there things about the program? Could you say like, what's my, your favorite thing about the program or what might be working well 
with the program. I see you kind of smirking. <laughs> don't, don't smirk. Uh, I, and then, or, you know, alternatively, we can talk about what is not working in the program, what we think we, we want to change. I think there's a long list of both of those questions. There are, I'm glad that we have a program. Like the fact that we have a program here in Utah is astonishing. Right. Uh, so that is good. I think the program being so focused on education and like having medical providers and healthcare providers working together the way we are is so important. And I love that about the program. There are fiddly bits in the program, though, that are so hard to work with. MJ Freeway is so hard <laughs> to work with. This is the software program that does seed-to-sale tracking, and it also is, there's a sister of it that's called the Electronic Verification System, where we house all these patient, uh, you know, deadlines and certifications, and then there and then MJ Freeway is also tied into the retail. Yeah, it's the it's uh, acts as, as the well. point of sale, and yeah, I don't know if it's robust enough for a medical program. How about the uh, limited medical provider program? Have you interacted with that program yet I, since they launched it last week? We had all of my pharmacists are signed up to do and and work in the EVS with the limited medical providers, but I have not had a single patient come to me with a limited medical provider. With, that, with a letter. Yeah. So you're the second pharmacist. So here it's been launched for a little less than a week. Little, you know, at this, at the time of this recording, mm -hmm. we've been a little less than, than a week for the limited medical provider program. There are 16,000 controlled substance licensed providers in Utah who basically received the ability at this uh, to to authorize 15 patients uh, with medical cannabis. And and we've had we that's a lot of providers. It's a lot of patients. There are 14 pharmacies and I have not talked to a single pharmacist who's interacted with that program one time yet. So I'm, I'm not saying it's I'm a not surprised. I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad program, but it is. And, and I am saying mm -hmm. that, I guess, but, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it, I don't think it's going to do what they think it's, what they think I, it's going to do. I'm not surprised you haven't seen anything because how I know, I'm sure they sent an email to all the providers that start saying this is available, but how many of those providers are actually going to sit down, truly read that email, understand the implications of the email and then act upon it. Like they don't have any resources. Yeah. They don't know. Where they don't know where to go to start. They don't. They don't know what pharmacies to call. They probably. They don't know. They don't. I think there's still there's still people that come into my clinics who don't know weed is legal in Utah. Exactly. Right. Let alone a provider who's knee deep in COVID. Yeah. And medical practice and all and of a this million stuff. Of, and now they, and the, thinking, okay, I've got to I've got to learn all this stuff so I can write mm -hmm. a letter when I didn't yesterday and I was just fine. Yeah. And and then right? and then like yesterday I was fine without it. Today I'm probably fine without it. I just exactly. I, I and know. some of them this aren't going to want to write the letter and hand it to the patient. Like they're gonna they're gonna have to track down a pharmacy that they can then fax it to. I think there are just some logistics of the program that make it difficult and very maybe not as accessible as they had hoped it was going to be. Well, 
I, to me, uh, last, uh, last Monday. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. And, (laughs) um, on Monday, I talked to a patient who was having a bad trip, right? A very bad experience. We have, you know, I mean, we care for a lot of people and once in a while, somebody has Mm -hmm. a problem and the, as the program grows, the number of phone calls we get about this actually grow too, right? Surprise, surprise. And I thought after this phone call, um, you know, she was headed to the ER. Oh my this, goodness. This patient was headed to the ER. Like I am, I'm in, I am freaked out of my mind. I took an edible. I, I, I know I took too much, but I'm headed to the ER. Oh my gosh. Um, so I was thinking to myself, you know, as an LMP, what would I do? Where would I You look? would send them what, to the ER. What would I even do? Yeah. I just sent them to the ER. Like I wouldn't even know the questions no. to ask. So. I, that part of it to me, it worries me for patients because I want my patients to have a good mm-hmm. experience. And so I want the providers to be educated. And I know we're spending a little time on this and I'm, I'm on my soapbox now, so I'll <laughs> stop and we'll, we'll get back to the real thing. But you and I, uh, Ky- you know, Kylie and I, for those of you who are listening, Kylie and I talk every couple of weeks, we're involved in a mm-hmm. medical cannabis advisory group. Uh, that's, that's, uh, semi-related to the Utah Cannabis Association and and uh it this is important stuff to us yeah. right to me this we, is important we together we see a lot of people <laughs> yeah. holy yeah. cow yeah okay so that's wholesome and wholesome i i love like the whole um outreach side of wholesome is good and i can see that they they're really encouraging you to do research and and videos yes. and talk about this stuff, they, right? Uh, they give me almost total free reign to do the research that I think is important, to put together educational material that I feel like is important. They really have allowed me, they have deferred to me on all of these things that I'm like, patients need this. QMPs need this. Other PMPs need this. And then patients, caregivers need this information. And I have been allowed to do whatever I feel like is important for the, because I see so many patients that I was starting to get a really good idea of what people know and what they don't know, or what in more information they would like to have, or information for their spouse or someone like that that maybe isn't going to take cannabis, but is going to be with them on this journey. Yes. And you're, you're like repeating yourself over and over and then finally saying, you know what, we should have a handout. I should have a handout for this and I'm happy to repeat it over and over, but maybe if I have this handout, they can come to me with other questions, more in-depth questions for themselves that are more relevant for them if they have some information up front. So I now, we have a booklet that we hand out we have tons of educational material. I try to do, we do cannabis night school. We try to do other educational videos. I, I go to, you know, I go out into the community and do education and not just for patients. Like I've done it for QMPs offices. I've done it for, you know, healthcare providers that just have questions that have, that aren't QMPs. Yeah. And here's a plug. Uh, a plug for your education <laughs> is twofold. One, uh, Cannabis Night School. If you missed uh, Kylie and I talking about terpenes at Wholesome's Cannabis Night School, check that, that out. Fun. And two, 
Yeah. And two, uh, Kylie is on a ton of videos on Discover Marijuana on YouTube. And if you are not subscribed, as everybody loves to say, slam that subscribe <laughs> button on Discover Marijuana on YouTube. And you can watch Kylie and Kylie and I talk about all kinds of things um, yeah. on those videos that that just we're just wrapping up that season, season three of that channel. That was that was really fun. I enjoyed that so much. And I still get yeah. text messages from people that are like, oh, I saw you on TV when you know, I saw you on YouTube. Yes. But oh my gosh, I saw you. I, I loved that. And I, I get text yeah. messages all the time. Yeah. From people that it's I cool. used to know from school and stuff. Oh, really? So. That's great. Yeah, that was a that's a it's just a fun project. It kind of puts you on the spot, you know, to be videoed and then have a question asked. And all of a sudden you've got to be like, well, yeah. I gotta know, like, I gotta know what I'm <laughs> talking about. Here. I'm glad we did it. It got me ready for some other things that I got myself involved with. It was so talk about those because you're involved at the legislature now. <gasps> like we were talking before we started recording every Wednesday. It seems like you're I've up been, there during the session all day. Yeah. So last Wednesday I was up there a ton and I'm trying, I was trying to balance being at the Capitol building and doing all the things that I need to do up there with some of the, some meetings and some stuff that I needed to do at Wholesome. <laughs> it was. Yeah. What's your, what's your role at the Capitol? Uh, so actually while I'm at the Capitol. So I am now the medical director for the Utah Patients Coalition. And that is a volunteer position. I don't get paid for that. But um, that is actually why I'm up there is I'm helping the Utah Patients Coalition with whatever they need. Um, Essentially, I am their expert on cannabis and patients. And we are doing some stuff with a psilocybin task force bill. And so I'm also their expert there. Okay, Just stop right now. Let's talk about (laughs) psilocybin. I love, I have never experienced psilocybin, 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 but there are, there's some really cool research. There's some really cool research. Some amazing research coming out. They actually were able to do a blind, I think double blind or just blind head-to-head study with escitalopram and psilocybin. So escitalopram is an SSRI. It is an antidepressant, for those of you who don't know. And they did a head-to-head with it, and psilocybin was outperforming it on a whole bunch of different scales that they were using to kind of look at it. I don't want to get too into the study because I haven't memorized the study, but... um, I did read it and understand it. So it was amazing. And they had done one last Johns Hopkins is doing. So John Hopkins is doing a bunch of research on psychedelics right now. Yeah. PTSD, smoking and addiction addiction, uh, research, depression, Um, anxiety, depression, the death, uh, like dealing with death, so cancer think, patients. Is that was the big, big issue. One. Cancer yeah. patients. Mm-hmm. So death, yeah, acceptance, like accept, accepting that you're yeah, going to die. It's been the results that they're having are incredible. Sometimes I'm reading it, I'm like, how did we miss out on this for so long? This is different than cannabis because this is specific yeah. and extremely accurate, seemingly extremely accurate, like yeah. data-driven science 
on like something hard that, science, like the it, real. It's not like wishy washy. This no. is this is legit and this stuff. is the kind of science I want to see done with cannabis. Yes, but they're not doing it. But for some reason, okay. So what's the bill that is proposed? So There's what a we're proposing bill at the Utah. What we're trying to propose this is, is we're going to put together a task force of a bunch of healthcare professionals, um, people at the Huntsman Mental Health. Oh my goodness. A bunch of people, a bunch of yeah, professionals. Yeah, the, uh, the Neuropsychiatric yes, Institute. Thank you. Yes. We're going to bring together this task force where they will meet almost all this year, look at the research on psilocybin, you know, see who, what, when, where, and how. And hopefully in October, we would be, we would have them presenting you know, what their findings were, what it would, what we kind of envision, I guess not we, I guess the task force, what they would envision that that would look like in Utah, like what the clinics would look like, who would need to be involved, what kind of laws would need to be written. And then hopefully a bill would be in the works after that to pass it medically, possibly. So basically we're looking at a task force that would study mm-hmm. it, get the experts, do a big report for maybe the Department of Health yes. where they where they say, okay, here's the research, here are different programs that exist, mm-hmm. here's what it might look yeah. like in Utah based on current law. Here's our opinion and on what it should here, look like. Here's our opinion on what providers uh, should be licensed to do mm-hmm. this, what the visits might look like what the patient qualifications would look like. And so we're essentially maybe two years away from a bill. Like if you get a task force yeah. passed and some money to do the studies, you're looking at yeah. a couple of I years mean, yes. to get something It's a done. few years out. I just, fascinating, I, it's fascinating. Though. I don't even know where to start it. There's so much good information that there's so many things to be excited for about it. So it's almost overwhelming, but the, the, the task force bill hasn't passed yet, as far as I know, not as of today, but I'd love to see it pass. So that at least we could look at it, the possibility of it. This is just looking at the possibility. This isn't a bill to yeah. legalize anything. Like we should just look at it. Yeah. This is just a little bit of money to mm-hmm. look at it. And so what, um, have you seen any language on a bill or proposal to update the medical cannabis program up there? So there is some language on, there's a lot of language going on. There's a lot going on <laughs> and I'll know a little bit more tomorrow. Um, this is just the first week and there was not a lot of people at the actual Capitol building. It wasn't as crowded as it usually is. But there's some stuff. There is a there is a, a pandemic. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's COVID's not real up there. It felt <laughs> apparently it felt that way. I was accosted really? by one man that asked me why I was wearing a mask. Oh, oh, well, I don't even I don't even know if I want to get into this. I just this, I like, just did because it felt like the right thing to do. Whether it doesn't matter what my opinion is on it. Yeah, just felt like the right thing to so do. So I did. I don't know. When I work in the ER, I wear a mask. I, I wear like a mask all day when I work in surprise, surprise. the compounding lab. Yep. I wear a mask all day. 
And if you were working around somebody with the flu, it's a good idea to wear a mask. I would recommend it. As a medical provider, (laughs) if you're working around somebody with the flu, it is my medical opinion professionally that you should be wearing a mask. I love this for us. That's all I have to say. That's that's all. all Yeah. Um, Okay. So, um, okay. You got the psilocybin bill and we haven't seen language on what's coming up for the cannabis bill, but between you and I, I think we've got patient protection. Right, mm-hmm. we're we're gonna we're gonna we're working on pretty much a lot of patient a protection, lot of patient stuff. protection stuff. Um, a lot because there was the firefighter up north. Yes. Hey, by the way, we had a firefighter come in and get his card specifically because he was like, "This is bullshit. That guy's getting Good fired." Him and I'm getting my card because because you should if be able they're to. gonna fire more because we all should get yeah. our cards like. As in support. Yeah. I love then, that. Then fire us all. They can't fire us all. I thought it was pretty cool. I love cool. that. Good for, good for him. Good for yeah. them. So that, yeah, there's some, we're yeah. going to change some language around firefighters and police. There's some stuff about caregivers cards in there. The LMP was a big one. There's a lot of stuff. A lot of it hasn't been decided. So I hate to like say it and then have I it just like disappear then- into the ether. I know. So I know the patient cap thing. Oh yeah, the no, patient cap We always cap talk thing. about that. Did, have we heard anything about that? Not that I am aware. I'm I'm working hard. I sw- and if anybody knows how, I swear I saw somebody done. post something on social media that was like, "We got it taken away," and I'm like, "Uh, did we?" Yeah, no. Yeah, we're definitely having patient caps, and we're definitely going to have a problem this year because all of the QMPs are going to expire. Yeah. So all of the first year QMPs like me, we're going to expire. And there's going to be a lot of QMPs. This just happens that have moved out of state Mm -hmm. and they're leaving us with 200 patients. And where the hell do those patients go? They're going to be lost. And I think my proposal is that we allow a QMP to authorize another QMP in their Mm -hmm. group to take over their patients, right? Like I'm the QMP. I saw 200 people. I'm going to move to Oklahoma to take this hepatobiliary job, yeah. right? And I'm going to leave. So I don't want to leave my patients in the lurch. So I'm going to authorize Tim or Adam or whoever in my practice group to take over my patients. They'll just add them to their, doesn't change their patient cap per se, but it just allows me to see those 200, those specific 200 people. And then you don't have orphan patients. Like- exactly. Just take care of the orphan patients because that- this year, that the orphan patients issue is going to be, gonna be a big. big deal. And there are some a lot of a lot of my patients. I get phone calls, and they are like, "How do I renew my card?" Right. So, if they can't, if they're not sure how to renew their card because it is a little convoluted, how are they going to yeah. find a brand new QMP when they when they've been abandoned right. and I, and abandoned yeah, isn't even the right bad- word. But it kind of it kind of is. We don't want them to right. Be I feel like I mean, they're being abandoned. So I use we're like that word. left and yeah, we're we're left. We're leaving them. We're leaving them in the lurch, and let, and saying, hey, yeah, well, whoever you went to, they're, they're gone. They're gone. So good. Good. Okay, luck. Bye. So I feel, I feel sad for them because some of them are, maybe they're not as good with technology. Maybe they're a little bit older. Like, maybe they need a little more handholding, and a lot of them are going to get left behind. Okay, back to back to cannabis, back to weed. 
What's your favorite delivery form? I prefer a tincture or a gummy because generally I need longer term relief. I also find them to be more discreet and that can be really Mm -hmm. important when that's pretty much just important for my whole life. Um, I'm not going to like carry a cannabis vape to the Capitol building. No, I don't think that's, I'm not going to, I guess you do what you, you just do what you got to do. Other people can do whatever their heart desires. I'm not going to. Yeah. Seems like an odd thing, like an uncomfortable thing to put that thing through the metal detector. I don't want to. Like empty your pockets <laughs> and your, your vape pens. and the thing. I'm not having that conversation with the guy with the gun. Nor, I mean, we already have to have conversations about the masks. So <laughs> might as well not add to that. I, that I had just I mean, finished. Shit, that's, a, that's a rough. It was such a strange interaction. I had just finished uh, the interview that I was doing with Fox 13 and this guy just comes up to me and he's like, who are you? Why are you wearing a mask? What? (laughs) Well, sir, (laughs) I am a weed pharmacist. Oh yeah. It was, I'm still, I'm obviously still shocked by it because I'm talking about it, but um, yeah, there's just like, I, I like a little more discreet usage form and I generally need longer acting. And then I prefer lower quantities of THC and higher quantities of CBG or CBD. So that I can really pick and choose that when I use like Mm. a tincture or even a gummy. We have so many good gummies right now that have great ratios. Um, Name a few. uh, Boujum makes some great one-to-ones. Huga makes good one-to-ones. Um, True North, I think they they do some, and Standard does. Like yeah, I can North think of is. a bunch of ones that I can use ratio products that way, which is what I prefer. Yep. Well, as a compounder, you can also, I think pretty soon you'll be able to get higher CBG like tinctures, yeah. me- meaning like you could just buy a CBG, CBD and tincture put them together over the, the counter and then- Right. Then you could put them together in your body the way yeah. you like. And that, I think that'll be fun, especially with tinctures going forward when we have more minor mm-hmm. cannabinoids as their own products. We can, because you can't compound in the THC world. Not yet. At least that's not in the Someday. Bill, right. We're not, maybe someday. Uh, but people could. Yeah. You could design a product for, for somebody. somebody say, hey, you know, go home, take three drops of this, mm-hmm. two drops of that. Half a slug, and of that that's something that I do with the, the gummy and the tinctures. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of great tinctures. There's one to one to ones. There's one to one to tens. There's one to ones. There's one to fours. There's one to twenty fives. Like you can get a whole bunch of ratios, and I like to kind of put them together with the relief I need, and generally lower THC because I do have it. Get, it makes me anxious. I don't need. I don't want anxiety. I'm using this, you know. And I don't want to get anxiety from it. We want anti. So yeah, Yeah. a lot of the times I am using it for um, evening uh, pain. Like for some reason, it seems to be this thing where everybody's pain is worse at night. So that's why I love the tinctures. That's why I love gummies. They're just so easy for me to put together the way that I want them to be. And there's not a lot of guesswork for me when I'm using that kind. 
I think inhaled forms are great. I just can't seem to get the cannabinoids that I want in them right now. But I think that will change. Yeah. I hope so. so. I've been doing a lot of recommending on layering, right? Mm -hmm. Layering a a cannabinoid product like CBG, THC, or one-to-one-to-one, like CBD, THC, CBN in the oral form, and then then adding an inhaled form on top of that. I love that. Plus, you're getting the cannabinoids, right? Where you're not getting the CBN in the flower, Mm -hmm. you're getting it in the tinctures. So you're you're mixing forms, and I think that's... um, that's what I've been recommending it's a lot. It's such a great way for patients to use their cannabis. They can get immediate relief and then long-term relief. And it's so, I think it's almost comforting in a way that they can, they can have that and, and use it that way. Cause they know that they'll have, yeah. they'll have something for breakthrough pain, but they're not going to have to use their inhaled form every two hours or something, maybe like the way they don't want to. So I love that. They can, they can dose it to a way they don't, they're not mm-hmm. high all day either. And then if they need to be high, they can, be. they can, they can get there. They can yeah. be, and that's not going to last as long. I, I think this has been really fun. It's fun to watch people reduce their medication mm-hmm. use and it's fun. It seems fun to be involved. I love it. You and I, I love when people come back and they're like, Oh my gosh, I I'm off 15 of the medications that I was taking for my back pain. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. So what's the best way for people to get involved right now, do you think, or, or get, I mean, maybe even in touch with you and about the legislative, like, effort? Oh, man, through UPC would be a great way. I am super involved on the UPCs, so Utah Patient Coalition's social media. I can see messages that come through there, but you can also send us emails. And, and I'll do everything I can to get back to you. But I would love to hear yeah, from Yeah, if you people. go to the Utah Patients Coalition site, mm-hmm. uh, you can go to the Contact Us page and you can you could reach out there. Uh, but social media seems like a great way yeah, to go, Yeah, social too. media is easy. So we do have a Facebook page, and then we have a public Facebook group that we allow public discourse on. Like, you can get on there. You can put a comment on there. You can ask a question. So the page is private, but the group is a public group that you can post to. Oh, that's cool. And then you'll update how the bills mm-hmm. are going there. So, yeah, we've had right? we have quite a few updates on there about cannabis stuff. And I think we've I think we posted three times in the last couple of days because there's been enough, you know, information coming forward that we've been able to post a little bit more. And I've had a little I've had some really good help with that from Des and um, a new girl we've been working with her name is Haley it's been amazing they've been that's great really helpful because I can't do it by myself I'm sure you can't no it's too big of a job to to uh, do and especially with you being involved uh, so heavily full-time at Wholesome and and the program is really just growing so fast is there anything that uh, you feel like you know you you want to you want to say you want to talk about Man, we covered, we covered so much. I just want people to reach out, ask me questions. Even if you think they're stupid, I bet they're not. Let's talk about yeah, stuff. Yeah, I bet they're not. And whether, whether you're a patient or yeah, not, I or don't you're care. cannabis curious, yeah. right? Like it, that doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? If you have a question for Kylie and you have, or you have a question for me for that matter, like reach out on Wholesome, Wholesome yeah. Co. 
their website from the pharmacy standpoint, utahmarijuana.org. If you have a question for, even if you have a question for Kylie and the only place you can find is to go to YouTube, the Discover Marijuana channel and make the comment there, we'll yes. get you the comment. We'll answer the comment um, and the question. And yeah, I mean, and if you have a legislative priority or something that you are you think is very very important, we're I want to I mean, know Kylie. She's right here, I right? The medical director it. of the Utah Patients Coalition, right? This is the person yeah. to to reach out to and talk about it, and so that we can be so that we know, right? We're interacting with the program, and I more than anyone else. I have a lot of I, I, I've had a lot of people reach out to me with opinions, and and, and I want to hear them all because. I'm just one person and there's only so many things I'm going to think of on my own. If I don't, if we don't have this public discourse, if we don't have people asking questions, if we don't have people making suggestions, I won't be able to think of every single thing. Right. We'll only think about, you'll only be thinking about the stuff that mm -hmm. you see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kylie, thanks for coming on. Kylie Shumway, uh, pharmacist in charge at Wholesome Co. and medical director of the Utah Patients Coalition. Congratulations Thank you. on both. You're living your best <laughs> living life. My best life, my dream. Yes. And uh, for those of you who aren't subscribed to the podcast, Utah in the Weeds, download it on any podcast player that you have access to. Uh, thanks so much, Kylie, Thank for you. coming on and talking to me. This was so fun. Yeah, it was. All right, everybody, stay safe out there.